Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. When we hear about extreme weather and changing climate, often we hear about the extreme records that are associated with these events. Things like hottest temperature, heaviest rainfall, and so forth. You may notice when these events are reported, it's often with the caveat, if verified, and often overlooked but vital important caveat. So who are these verifiers? How do they corroborate world record weather? For the World Meteorological Organization, one of those people is Dr. Randy Cerveny. He joins us today to discuss how extreme events are verified and why it's so important to go through a rigorous verification process. Welcome, Dr. Cerveny. Ah, thanks for having me. Well, I, you know, I may morph into calling him Dr. Cerveny or Randy because we're colleagues. We, we've worked together in various capacities, uh, although I think this is a Two geographers time. here. Yeah, yes. you know, we <laughs> certainly represent us the similar discipline, him in Arizona State and me at the University of Georgia. So amazingly, someone that I've wanted to talk to for a while, but just now getting on Weather Geek. So I have to start you with every question that I ask every guest at the beginning. I say, how do you become a weather geek? But in this case, how'd you become a weather <laughs> climate geek or geography geek? All of them apply. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in Nebraska and uh, I was in a small town in the southeast part of Nebraska. And my uh, parents lived on a hill overlooking the, the small town. So we were the place where the, the sheriff would come out and set up his, his watch so that when uh, there was going to be a, a, a thunderstorm, uh, he was uh, positioned it in, the, in our driveway. And so I kind of grew up watching severe oh, wow. weather, watching the, the possibility of tornadoes and uh, just have always loved it, basically. Yeah, being in Nebraska, I, I bet that would make sense given what I know about the types of weather you get. Let me give you all a bit of uh, our guest's background today. Uh, he's a professor of geographical sciences at Arizona State University. He's been there since 1986, I believe, or somewhere close around. Yeah, about that. But serves as a rapporteur. That's about it. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought so. Serves as rapporteur on extreme records for the United Nations and World Meteorological Organization, which is much of what we'll be talking about today. Uh, at Arizona State, he directs the meteorology program and was awarded the title of President's Professor in recognition of his contributions to undergraduate education. He is a contributing editor for the magazine WeatherWise and is the author of numerous scholarly journal articles, as well as two books, Freaks of the Storm, and weather's greatest mystery solved. And I know through the grapevine that there may be another book forthcoming, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, just give the listeners, because this is really fascinating, because I know they hear about all of these extreme weather records being broken, the hottest temperature here, Death Valley there, extreme rainfall, but may not understand your role as the rapporteur of extreme records. So just give us a little 101 on what that means. <laughs> well, 
Rapporteurs is is a strange title. It's it's one that the UN really likes to use. It, it basically means uh, the the person in charge, the the expert in charge of whatever little project they particularly have. Well, this didn't turn out to be quite such a little project, but we started it all the way back in in two thousand and seven, and I was working with a uh, a really well known uh, meteorologist uh, that was working with the World Meteorological Organization, Tom Peterson, and he's now retired, but uh, he by far was one of the best that they had at, at NOAA and uh, uh, for many years was uh, the president of uh, uh, the, the organization, the climate part of the World Meteorological Organization. Well, I had approached him, uh, we, we uh, some colleagues and I, uh, uh, Chris Lancy and uh, uh, Roger Edwards and, and uh, uh, Larry uh, Larimore came out with uh, an article that we published in the bulletin of the AMS uh, that was a compilation of all the different uh, extremes that we could find. Hottest temperature, strongest wind, uh, greatest pressure, lowest pressure, all of those particular things. Because we had found that there wasn't any source of that uh there's there's places like the guinness book of world records right. and and actually now i work with the guinness book of world records to make sure that they have it right but there hadn't been ever been an official source so uh we wrote that article and we said you know it would be kind of nice individual countries have their own particular extremes group the united states for example has an extremes group and when uh, a new record is set in the united states they bring in uh, the the head uh, one of the heads of of, uh, of NOAA they bring in uh, one of the the state climatologists uh, they bring in people that are from that particular location where the uh, the extreme was set and they evaluate whether it was good or not but whether it was valid or not but we didn't have an equivalent situation for the entire world so when we wrote this article back in um, uh, 2007 we said well, you know, it'd be nice if, if if there was something similar for the world. Well, Tom Peterson called me up and said, I think the group that you want to work with is going to be the World Meteorological Organization, and I'm the guy that you need to talk to. So I said, okay. We ended up going over to uh, Europe, to particularly uh, uh, Barcelona, Spain, and we talked about it in several meetings. They said, yeah, this is a pretty good idea, but why don't you set it up? You seem to have a pretty good idea of what you want. <laughs> so you always got to be careful about what you ask be for, I guess. what you wish for because uh, it work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we did it. We said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And uh, ASU here, Arizona State University, was uh, nice enough to, to host the website. We took all of the uh, available records that we could find and put them onto the website. And then the fun part was when these old records started getting broken, uh, because what we had to do was to make sure that the new records were valid, that if you had um, a new highest temperature or strongest wind or greatest rainfall, that the measurement was taken properly that it was uh, uh recorded in the in the right fashion it was using the right instruments it was made with an observer who knew what they were doing uh so 
we had all these different check marks that we had to say, okay, if there's a new record, they have to meet all these particular standards. Now, unlike the United States, we didn't have just one set of of, uh, experts that we said, okay, this is going to be the group that we're always going to call on because we have so many different kinds of records. We have uh, wind, pressure, temperature, and so on. And there are experts, of course, in meteorology that are experts of those specific things. So for each new record, what we do is we put together an expert panel. We uh, uh, are always going to have somebody that has to be from from the World Meteorological Organization, of course. And I'm going to be kind of the moderator of the uh, the committee. And then we have an expert that is, or expert births more than one, uh, somebody that is associated with that kind of phenomenon. So if it's a rainfall event, we're going to have an expert that knows rainfall. If it's a hail event, we're going to get somebody that is an expert on hail, like uh, uh Charles Knight, for example, I've had him on, and he is the authority on uh, sure, on sure, hail. Yeah. Yes. We're, if we have a <laughs> if we have a, a temperature uh, measurement uh, that is higher than anything else, I'm going to get the experts that know the temperature records. Uh, Phil Jones in uh, uh, in England is one of my go to people. It says, "Oh yeah, I love doing these kind of things, and and I'll do it." So I always try to bring in the wide range of experts from around the world and it's it sometimes gets out of hand because when we started this we thought oh is anybody going to actually want to be on on this and it became so popular that now i have scientists that contact me say well you know the next time you have one of these committees uh make sure that you contact me i want to be on uh we've we've had a committee once uh, where we had 22 people which is that's unusual Randy. (laughs) exactly yeah that's unusual for people to volunteer for work (laughs) (laughs) um one of the one of the things though that we do that makes it a little easier for people around the world because i always try to make sure that my committees are international is that uh we, we have one person that is the what we call the local representative, usually a member of that country's National Weather Service, who has the raw data, has the photographs, has the video of the particular site that we are looking at. So we don't actually have to go there. And so my committees usually meet by email or by uh, Zoom or, 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 or this kind of, of situation here, uh, which makes it a little easier for everybody, but also means that we can have truly international people that... Uh, uh, my committees, we've had 140 different countries already that have been a part of this, uh, 140 different individuals, sorry, 30, uh, 45 different countries that we, we've we had as a part of uh, these committees. And uh, and it's been exciting. It's been fun. We've, we have actually, uh, surprisingly to me, set new science we've discovered new things by doing these kinds of investigations which is you know something i didn't expect when we started it all up yeah when we come back from our first break i want to dig a little bit more into the process and get our experts opinions on how this process is going and how it will continue to go next on weather geeks getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with my colleague, Dr. Randall Servini, Arizona State University. When you hear those records being given about it was the hottest point ever at Death Valley or received the greatest single amount of rainfall in a three hour period. It's a it's a pretty good bet that if it gets verified, uh, our current guest is the person in the loop on that process. And so I, I invited Dr. Servity on because I wanted the listeners and viewers to understand how that process goes about. Now, a question that you know, one of my producers wanted me to ask is with the advancement in technology allowing us to observe our planet and its many systems better, uh, why is it so important to verify records and is I'll add to his question, is this sort of improved observational capability of providing more records? In other words, are we just seeing things better or sampling them better? Or is it a combination of a lot of things, including climate change? Well, there are several reasons for wanting to come up with a verified list of extremes. I was, I was amused... One of the very first lists that tried to do this was uh, done back in the 1990s, and it was done by the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and they were doing it for weapons manufacture, which I thought was kind of strange that (laughs) in order to make weapons work well, they needed to know what the weather extremes were, the temperatures, the winds, and and all of those kinds of things. I I think we found some maybe slightly more social redeeming ways why this this is necessary in particular it's one as you just mentioned one of the big things is climate change that if you're going to judge climate change you need to have a base that is verified you need to know what has happened already in order to figure out what's going to happen in the future so verifying extremes is is important there it does have 
information that is important to lots of other fields. I know you also are uh, an, an engineer and uh, engineers really like this this set of information because when you're designing a bridge or you're designing a building, you need to know what the extremes in terms of wind or in terms of uh, pressure or temperature, whatever it might be, are so that you can design the structure so that it doesn't collapse or doesn't uh, doesn't uh, fall prey to to the extremes. Uh, uh, doctors, medical doctors have to know for a given area, what are the extremes? How hot can it actually get? When here in, in Arizona, we just set the 100th day this year of 100 degrees, wow. uh, that involves a whole different set of medical problems than say somewhere that uh, doesn't quite get this hot this frequently. Uh, so the medical concerns associated with these kind of extremes. But one of the things that I really was kind of surprised at and I really appreciate since we started this project of, of monitoring world extremes and verifying them. Kids love weather extremes. Yes. So if you want to get them excited about uh, uh, weather and climate, if you start talking about how hot it can get or how cold it can get or how windy it can get, they really get excited about that. And so I've had, since we started this all the way back in 2007, I've had kids that have actually contacted me and said, I have started studying meteorology because you got us excited about it. And that that really is something that I'm, I'm very, very pleased about. Oh, but to, to get to your second question, uh, yes, technology is playing a huge role, uh, particularly with categories that I didn't even anticipate that we would be looking at back in 2007. Um, when we started the project, uh, one of our, we, we had basic categories, temperature, precip, rain, uh, wind, uh, that, that type of thing. Lightning was one, not one of those because I didn't think that there was a way that we could figure out lightning extremes and be able to verify it. Well, then I was put into contact with people that, that were saying, yes, we are monitoring using land-based stations. Um, how long and how far a lightning flash can occur. And then starting just recently in 2017, when we started getting the new generation of GOES satellites and, and other satellites around the world, they now have lightning sensors on them yes. that precisely measures how long and how uh, uh, far a lightning flash can actually occur. And, and and the numbers are astounding. I mean, we're talking uh, the world record currently for a lightning flash is 768 kilometers. I that's 477 miles. That would be like a, having a, uh, a lightning flash that starts in New York and goes all the way to Columbus, Ohio. I mean, that, that's that's about the same distance. Was so, that, that on the continent of Africa? Uh, Actually, the distance now is back in the United States. It was uh -huh. an event that occurred back in 2018, and it started in Mississippi, and it went all the way to the southern part of Texas. Wow. It was actually captured, uh, part of it was captured on a land-based uh, uh, network uh, out of Houston. So we have kind of double measurements of it. Now, 
the duration, the longest duration for a single lightning flash. And that actually has rewritten our definition of lightning. If you you go back to the uh, AMS glossary of meteorology, it tells you that a lightning flash is uh, less than a second. Well, the longest lightning flash that we now have on record is 17 seconds. Wow. And it was for a flash event that occurred over Argentina. One continuous flash that started in uh, basically southern Argentina and worked its way all the way to the north part of Argentina. Uh, incredible. And, which, which, and this, which, which, yeah, well, that, that brings me to a question here. And I apologize. There is a slight delay for our listeners. Uh, it brings me to the question, how do you start the project? You, you mentioned that you bring together this sort of expert committee uh, when there's a, an extreme record on the table and these verification. So let's let's just use that example. So take that example. And then what's the process to go through the verification at that point? Well, uh, I, I have to be notified. So normally uh, we'll, we'll accept notification from anybody, but obviously we're going to pay a little more attention. And if it comes from the National Weather Service of that particular country or from an official in that national uh, in that National Weather Service, but we we usually don't want to necessarily have it from a, a an individual that say records a, a 140 degree temperature on their car thermometer, that's not going to be something that we're going to verify. Uh, We need to have it meet WMO standards, World Meteorological Organization standards. And so that usually is going to come that I'll get notification from somebody in the National Weather Service of that country or from uh, another uh, person in meteorology and academic or, or something like that. I talk with my people uh, in the WMO. We say, is this a legitimate possibility for a new record? And if we base it that it is, then I will normally contact uh, my experts in that particular phenomenon. So I now have, uh, having done this now for two decades, uh, a set of people around the world that I kind of go to if there's a lightning event or if there's a rain event or something. And I say, does this make sense? Does this sound like a legitimate possibility that we should look to? So when I'm looking at uh, a lightning, one of the people I will usually almost always contact is uh, Ron Holly uh, down in, in Tucson. He was one of the world's lightning experts and, and is kind of my go-to guy there. And if they say, yes, this is a pretty good chance for a, uh, uh, a world record, then we start the, the process of developing a committee. Now, it used to be when I started the project that I could say, all right, this is the list of people that I think should be a part of this. The World Meteorological Organization is a political organization. <laughs> I, you know, We are part of the United Nations. So since that time and since these investigations have become so popular, I now get some input from upper echelons of the WMO saying, you really need to put this person on your committee or you need to contact this country and get somebody on it. Uh, So we have to go through a process of getting all the committee members together while they're doing that, because now that can take actually, unfortunately, a couple months or so. Uh, While that's going on, I'll contact the people that made the measurement and 
see if we can get the raw data, the actual measurements, the photographs of whatever uh, station it might be, if it's a land-based station, uh, all the available information that we've got. So that by the time that the committee is finished being formalized, I have a document of all the raw material. We forward that out to the committee and then the fun begins. The committee <laughs> reads through it and we start arguing about it. We say, all right, is this valid? Uh, was this a measurement taken in the proper way? Did this, uh, did they follow procedure? Was the instrument calibrated? Uh, for example, pretty much now, whenever there is a temperature, a highest temperature, that has been recorded, like you mentioned at Death Valley or at other places around the world. What we do now uh, is we will take that instrument. We will actually have that weather service take the instrument and send it to an independent testing lab to be calibrated so that we know it's working properly. For example, uh, just, you know, there was a couple of years ago that uh, Death Valley set 130 degree temperature. It hasn't been verified yet because we have taken the instrument and it's been sent to an independent uh, calibration testing lab and they are still testing it. So uh, once we have that information, uh, then we can say, all right, the instrument was working right. The synoptics of the event look good. Uh, uh, the procedures were all followed. And eventually I will ask the committee to make a recommendation to me as to whether to accept or to reject that particular observation. And if they say accept, I usually will take their, their, uh, their suggestion and then it becomes part of the official, uh, the official record. So it's a, it's a pretty involved process. That's the, the one of the, the, the sad things is that now the media, you know, wants an immediate answer. You know, right. it happens yesterday. Is it a world record? Well, no, we can't say that. We we, we gotta go, we gotta look at all the tiny little details because the the ghost is in the is in the details there. The the yeah. devil is in the devil details. You the gotta detail. make sure that the that they're right. Yeah. Well, when we come back from this next break, I want to get a little bit more into what might cause a verification to fail. Carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Randy Cervini from Arizona State University. And we're talking about verification of weather records. Now, what in that process that you just described, there are two questions that come to mind. Are there any sort of records over the last two decades that just kind of blow your mind, even as a scientist? And then what what might cause a verification to fail? Now, I, I assume you might determine that an instrument was bad or operating with a bias or something that may, but are there any other reasons that might verify? Um, it, it can be as simple as a misplaced decimal. Uh, we, we had a... a, a record that came to our attention of a weather extreme that uh, might have happened in India, uh, uh, an extremely heavy rainfall event. And it was actually at Cherrapunji. And of course, as you know, you see a, a measurement from Cherrapunji, you think, well, yeah, that's that's one of the wettest places on the earth. So you've got to take it legitimately. And we looked at this and the the record rainfall that that we were looking at was uh something on the order of uh for a uh, 24 hour period of 1.9 meters of rain wow and we were thinking oh well we, um, the, the current record is it's for a little island that's down in the the South Indian Ocean, Reunion Island. It gets hit by uh, tropical cyclones all the time, and and the current record is uh, uh, for a twenty four hour rainfall one point eight meters. That's uh, seventy one feet of water in yeah. one, day. one day. And so we were thinking, oh my goodness, this this is this is a potentially new record. So I contacted the people in uh, the. Uh, meteorological service in India, and they have some incredibly well uh, studied people. They went back to their original records and they went to the original logbooks and they found that unfortunately the observer had misplaced the decimal rather than 1.95 meters. It should have been 0.195 meters, which, you know, that's makes a fairly big difference. <laughs> so, um, you know, th that's where verification becomes important because we don't want those kind of silly errors to get put into the official record. And uh, so that, that happens. But our most famous uh, investigation was uh, a one that we t started back in 2010. And it was for what was then the hottest temperature in the world. And it was for a place uh, just outside of Tripoli. And the temperature would uh, basically 56 degrees Celsius, 136 degrees Fahrenheit. 
it had been uh, that that occurred all the way back in uh, 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 1922, and we were looking at it. And uh, there was there's always been some problems with that particular record, but we were able to get from the person in Libya the actual logbook that was taken of that observation. And when we looked at the logbook, we said, oh, wait a minute, this is like a smoking gun. We we found some errors that suggest that the observation was bad. Uh, the observer had written the temperature in the wrong column. The observer had uh, not used the correct procedures when he was putting the, those those numbers in. We dug a little deeper and we found out that the observer had uh, changed just a few days before the observation because the fort, it was an Italian fort at the time, Libya was in control, or excuse me, uh, Italy was in control of Libya. And uh, the normal person that took the observation had died. And so they got a replacement. The normal thermometer that they had been using to make the official measurements had gotten broken. So they used a replacement and neither of those things were good. The observer didn't know how to take the observation. The instrument that they used was an improper instrument that used both alcohol and uh, uh, mercury and it, it, it didn't work very well. And the station that we were looking at they were taking a measurement over a black tarred open courtyard. Yes. So it was hotter than hotter what the surroundings were. We just found a multitude of problems. And we, when we looked at it, we said, okay, obviously we can never be certain that the observation wasn't correct. We don't have a time machine to go back. But all the things that we found wrong with this station leads us to the conclusion that the observation was probably an error. And based on that, we're going to reject that observation. And then from that point, uh, that makes uh, the 134 degrees in Death Valley that was recorded back in 1913, the new world record. And it's been that now since uh, since we made that uh, uh, investigation back in, it, it ended in 2012 is when the investigation it took two years to do the investigation. It, very strange because we started in 2010 and Muammar Gaddafi was in charge of Libya at that particular time. The meteorologist that we had that was a part of our investigation worked for the Gaddafi government. <laughs> the revolution started. Um, we got an email from the 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 meteorologist there and then we heard nothing for six months we heard nothing and then one day i got an email from him said i'm alive he had taken his family he had gotten through the uh the battle he actually said there were bullets flying over his head wow. as he was taking his family out and he got to the rebels and started working with the rebels the rebels of course took over and he got his old job back, but now he's working for the rebel government, the new rebel government that was put in place. So I, a meteorologist can have a very exciting jobs and very exciting times occasionally, but uh, that was one of the most bizarre to actually have gunfire over your head, be a meteorologist, have gunfire over your head. Oh. Right. That's just an amazing story, but which brings me to my next question, and maybe I'm teeing this up for you, but have you ever thought about writing a book on all of these extreme 
weather records. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually a number of people have said that. And so, yes, uh, uh, we we have done that. And it's going to be coming out uh, this winter. We're, we're, uh, I'm being told that it's going to be published in January of, uh, of 2024. And the book is going to be uh, called Judging Extreme Weather, Climate Science in Action. And... What we're going to try to do in that particular book is a couple things. One, tell the stories of all of these different investigations. Like I was just mentioning, this, this Libyan investigation was incredible. We're going to tell the story of each one of those investigations. But because each investigation involves a different kind of weather, we're also going to give you a little background about temperature, about wind, about pressure, about uh hurricanes, about uh, tornadoes, and most happily here, I have put into the book for each one of these chapters some of the backstories of the people that are on my committees, uh, because I think that actually makes for some of the most important reading. To find out why some of these people got into the field and how they can conduct these uh, extreme investigations, so like your your first question to me, I do pretty much the same thing in this book and give the backstories of, of the people that are on my committees as a way to, to hopefully get people excited about weather, to get people uh, interested in the human aspect of weather beyond just the numbers. Yeah, it's, um, it's just looking forward to the book. Now, can any, I, I don't know, I know you're on uh, some social media, but do you have any social media uh, handles or Facebook pages or websites where people can follow <laughs> your extreme uh, weather verification activities? The, the website right now is, is the same one that we created all the way back in 2007. Of course, we update it now as we get new records. But the web address is wmo.asu. Edu. And that's a beautiful, beautiful site. Uh, one of the nice things about it, in addition to having the tables of extremes, we uh, have branched out because we're geographers. Uh, we branched out to GIS and we have a beautiful GIS map of the world that you can now click on and identify where these extremes are happening, not just the, the basic numbers, but also see where all of these different extremes, the, the highest temperature in Europe, the, the coldest temperature in North America, the wettest uh, temperature, wettest uh, rainfall events for hurricanes, all those different things are, are part of the website. Uh, we are in the process because the WMO wants to make it more incorporated into their uh, whole network of, of websites. By next year, we're going to be moving the web uh, the web page to an official WMO uh, site, but right now it's at wmo.asu.edu, and it's a good place to find all that information. Yeah, just an amazing discussion today. I, I knew it would be. That's why I wanted to have Dr. Servini on on the podcast. For those of you listening to the podcast, um, that we really thank you. For those watching, we do stream this now on the Weather Channel streaming app as well. And we want to thank Dr. Servini <laughs> for joining us on the podcast. Randy, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. And, and thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. Weather Geeks.